Good morning. Quite a week, huh? You had a live through, a, I'm sure, a very emotional funeral. And uh, for me, I was in Los Angeles. Uh, my, my son-in-law's mother died Tuesday, and I spent Wednesday morning with her husband, uh, you know, a, a couple that have been good friends of ours for over 20 years since our kids got married. And uh, it's tough, isn't it? I mean, uh, grief is, a, is a, a difficult, painful process. Uh, today, though, I want to talk about the church, and I want to talk about what kind of a church do you want to be. You're also looking for someone to, to uh, fill uh, the shoes of that pastor you've lost, and, and uh, part of what I do now isn't here. It's in Southern California. I help uh, churches find their pastors, and I can tell you I've done that about eight times now in different churches. It is a tough process to go through. It requires tons and tons of prayer, and I don't think any church adequately prays for that process as much as they should. And, uh, but I do believe that God has someone. I know he does. I have confidence in his sovereignty and that he's got somebody for the church. So I'm going to talk a little bit about if you're going to try to get somebody, though, what kind of a church do you need to be? What are, what are pastors looking for today? And it goes right back to what Acts chapter 2 says. If you want to open your Bibles to Acts 2, starting at 41, that's where we'll camp today. But let's uh, begin with a word of prayer. So God, thank you for the privilege of uh, studying the scripture together and being together today. I pray you'll bless this time now that you will do what Jesus prayed so often. Give us not just ears that hear, but give us eyes that see. In Jesus' name, amen. We start off in Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 47, which is going to be the end of the message today, and it's this verse. All the while, it says they were praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now, let's think about it. What would it be like to be that church in Stanwood? I got here early today, and I kind of drove through the city. It's a beautiful city. Uh, it met my criteria. It has a McDonald's, and... Uh, <laughs> It has a, a, just a lot of really uh, new, nice, beautiful houses and buildings. It's amazing here. Uh, my best friend in college uh, was a guy named Bruce Barnes, and he used to live out in Camano Island, Camino, however you say it, and then he moved up to Mount Vernon. So I preached in his church about 12 years ago up in Mount Vernon. So, but, you know, you forget how beautiful this area is. This is a gorgeous area. And uh, I just loved being here with you today and just driving around and taking a look at it. But if you're going to be the kind of church that's going to reach this area, all, it says all the while they were praising God and they were enjoying the goodwill of all the people. What does the word all mean? It means everybody. And it says, that's amazing. There aren't many churches like that, are there? Where everybody in the city just thinks it's, it's, the, it's the place? Uh, and it says, and every day people were coming to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Every day. Um, I like this quote by Carmen Renee Beria. When a friend committed suicide, I realized I could become too cynical, too lost, and too alone. I needed a church, a community of believers. I needed to live in my faith and visit my doubts. Because, listen to this, something happens there that simply doesn't happen when you are alone in prayer or on the Internet. Amen? 
As much as I hate to admit it, my faith is enhanced and enlarged when in relationship to other people, you know, like her, who are less than perfect human beings. I think a lot of times now, because of COVID, a lot of people have become very comfortable just staying at home in their pajamas and watching church on, online. And there's options all over the place for that. And they are, are missing the fellowship that happens when we're together like today. We're going to end the service around the Lord's table. Well, you know, I've, I've heard people say, well, if you don't have the elements at home, just grab some cookies and punch or something. I'm like, are you kidding me? Uh, I mean, come on, do we not have respect for the table of, of Christ? I, I don't understand how we become so casual about it. But to be a church that reaches people today, according to Barna Research, you know, George Barna, I mean, he does research for Bank of America and all these big companies. He says, what are people looking for in a church uh, right now? The number one thing he says is how much the people seem to care about one another. Think about that. Uh, we're going to get later on, we'll get uh, down to uh, friendliness. But this is something other than friendliness. This is something about people who authentically seem to care about each other. I, I, uh, I've looked at a lot of church websites over the last couple of years, and I'm amazed how many church websites have pictures of the buildings and, uh, and you know, the, the empty rooms and everything. And people aren't looking for that. What they're looking for is pictures of people hugging each other, smiling together, being happy together, authentically caring, where there's older, gray-haired people, like, like some of my friends, <laughs> and, uh, and children. They're looking for a church where the people authentically seem to care. We're going to talk about how that became the opposite of that became one of the deadly sins that the church fathers warned us about. The other thing uh, that's next in the list is the theological beliefs and doctrines of the church. Isn't it interesting that caring for people is more important to people than even what the church believes? Number three, the quality of the preaching. And number four, friendliness to visitors. Now, by the way, I just want to warn you because your church, like, like every church I, I've known, is, is perceived as a very friendly church, and, and it is a friendly church. But uh, I have a mentor named Lyle Schaller, and Lyle consulted with over 5,000 churches in his lifetime. And he said every church he ever went to said the best thing about this church is we're a friendly church. Every one of the 5,000. And he says what they mean is we're friendly with each other. We're friendly once you get to know us. And one of the challenges, if you want to be a church that's, that is going to be effective in the current day, you have got to focus, first of all, on who's here who you don't know. Are you hearing me? Yes. Knock, knock. Anybody, anybody home? Yes. You have to focus on the people you don't know. And uh, some of them are actually from here. Now, here's what happens. A lot of people go up to somebody and say, oh, hi, uh, you know, my name is Bill. I don't know you. Uh, are you new here today? And they say, I've been a member of this church for six years, you know, and they're insulted, right? Well, why are you saying that? You can just say, hi, my name's Bill. I, I just don't think I, I know you, do I? You know, or just something to kind of reach out a little bit. And I always encourage churches, at the end of the service, my thought is, give me five. And that's give me five minutes to look around, find the new people, Find the people picking up their kids. Find the people who I am not that familiar with. 
because after COVID, we are all rebuilding our churches. We have all lost people in COVID, every church I know of. And some churches have lost, you know, somewhere between 30 to 40% of their church has gone away. We have got to rebuild what the COVID has taken away from us. And part of that is just going to be looking for those new people and extending uh, Christian fellowship to them. Now, in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, the church is born. What a day. Those who believed what Peter said, what did he say? He said, this Jesus was the Messiah. God sent him to us, and what did you do with him? You killed him. He says that to the people. You killed him. But you know what? God was greater than you, and God brought him back to life. And in that, audit, in, in that audience, there were hundreds and thousands of people who had personally met the risen Jesus Christ. They knew that what he was saying was true. They gave evidence that what he said was true. And he says, because you have seen him resurrected, you know that he is who I'm telling you. And 3,000 people came uh, baptized and were joined the church that day. Now, how, how many people were baptized that day? <clears throat> no, that's wrong. Oh. That's what it says. Oh, let's remember something. Uh, they only counted the men in those days. Women were considered property, and uh, they didn't, every church in the country has got more women than men. Normally, it's 60, 40 females. Uh, children, young, young adults, it just counted the men of a certain age. There were more than 3,000 people that became part of the church that day, were baptized and followed Jesus. And it says, verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So we've got these things here that it says they did. Uh, go forward one. It says they zeroed in on these four things. And... Uh, it says that they had these things in common. They, they devoted themselves to this. Uh, the word in common, you know, the, is a word you may have been familiar with, koinonia, fellowship. We all have these things in common. This is what they were doing, and it says they, they were doing it just constantly. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. For us, we call that the New Testament. They were devoting themselves to fellowship. That's the koinonia word to uh, being together. They were uh, giving themselves to sharing in meals. Amen. I, I like that part of it. Uh, my, w my wife is a nurse, and, and she's the healthy one in the family, and uh, I'm the carnivore, you know. I, I, uh, I, to a fault, uh, I, just, I just love good food, good steak. I, I just, I can live for that. Too much so. Uh, we all can get, but let's not lose this. We'll talk more about, we're losing this as a culture. Uh, a lot of people have not had anyone in their home for a meal in, in decades now. And we have lost a lot of what happens because when you go and eat in someone's house, you know what you're saying to that person? You're saying, I accept you. I will, I will accept you to the level that I will eat your food. I've been around the world. I, years ago, I was in Paris, France, and there was an Islamic uh, missionary there, a, a formerly Islamic, now one of our converged missionaries, uh, Ben Benadi. And Ben invited us to the home of his family, and everyone in his family was Islamic. And we went to an apartment 
uh, just, uh, just outside of town, and they fed us just a wonderful meal, just an amazing meal, more than I could eat. I mean, it was just this huge thing. When, why did I go to their house? Because I have to show them, I will reach out to them who they are, where they are, I will eat their food, and I will trust them in their world. Sharing is, in food is, is an important thing. Can I remind you, most of the early fights in the church were over food? Fighting over the widows not being given enough food, fighting over what you can eat, uh, Peter's vision on the sheep that came down from heaven. Is it okay to eat unclean food now? All these things were big issues in the early church. And then finally they devoted themselves to prayer, something that we all need to fight to preserve in our church and in our life. In all the believers, it says, again, uh, devoted themselves to these things. Christian Brotherhood, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. In other words, he says, it's not something we have to manufacture. It's something that God has put there. We just have to participate in it and live it out in the power of God's Holy Spirit. 43. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. It's an interesting term there. It says this deep sense of awe. Really, uh, awe in, in the Bible is kind of almost like this holy fear. There, there was this, this power in the room that was palpable. You could sense it and feel it, and it was almost scary to people when they were there, and the Holy Spirit would come into that place. And it says, and the Holy Spirit came over them. And the word came there in, in the Greek is, is what we call an imperfect tense. An imperfect verb means it, it's, it, it comes and goes and comes and goes and comes and goes. It doesn't mean they opened the doors and it was there. It meant it would come and go. Jesus in John 3 uh, told Nicodemus, uh, the wind blows where it will. And you hear the sound of it, you know, and, and you kind of know it's there, but you, but you can't manufacture it, he says, and he's speaking about, it says in the text, the Holy Spirit. You cannot f make the Holy Spirit show up. You cannot force God to be here. You cannot force him to bless your church. You can pray for it, you can ask for it, and God in his loving kindness and in his sweetness to you, just may give it to you when you least expect it. But you have to constantly be praying, keeping yourself confessed and prayed up to date. Every one of you has things in your life you need to confess to God today and get cleansed of. And you know what? Some of you are, are holding back because you have asked God to forgive you for that thing a hundred times already, and you almost feel embarrassed to go and ask him again. But the Bible says you just keep coming to God. He, he never expected perfection in you. What he expects in you is a heart that responds to him. And, and you come to him, and it says because they, the Holy Spirit was coming, they had miraculous signs and wonders. I like this quote from Henry Nouwen. What we see and like to see is cure and change. But what we do not see and do not want to see is care. The participation in the pain, the funerals, the loss, the solidarity and the suffering, the sharing in the experience of brokenness. And still, care without, care without care is as dehumanizing as a gift given with a cold heart. 
I like the story about the little girl, and her mother said, uh, where were you? I was looking for you. I couldn't find you in the yard. She said, I, I, went, for, I went next door to Mrs. Carlson's house. Well, what, what did you do in Mrs. Carlson's house? I mean, we've kind of been real avoiding her because, you know, she just lost her husband. And she said, well, I don't know. She just, we're on the front porch together, and she was in her rocking chair, and she just held me and cried for half an hour. And I cried with her. Brilliant little girl to have that sensitivity to God's spirit, to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. Sometimes it's not all the stupid things Christians say when somebody's lost. We give the worst advice again and again. The best thing I think you can do sometimes is just shut up and be with them and love them and pray for them. We just don't know what to do with it. We feel uncomfortable, so we avoid it. That's the worst thing you can do. And sometimes the best thing you can say to a friend who's just been through a great loss is, I don't know what to say, but I just wanted to come and sit with you for a while. If you've studied Greek, I mean, a, a Jewish theology at all, you know they call it sitting Shiva, just sitting and being with someone who's been through a loss in their life. It says in verse 44, all the believers met together in the place and everyone uh, uh, shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Well, I'm glad the Bible says that because my wife and I just moved to Bothell and we've got a few extra expenses we didn't anticipate and I'm glad I could be here with you people today. No. <laughs> there was a caring that went beyond the limitations that normally hold us back it, uh, to the extent that some people sold property. Uh, you know, we know that Barnabas... Uh, Joseph was his real name, sold a property to help the people in the early church. Uh, people who had extra stuff they didn't need were doing, uh, reaching out and showing God's love in, in tangible ways. I, I've thought for many years that gratitude is the new evangelism. If you're going to get serious about reaching out to people, you've got to have an open and generous heart and reach out to people in loving ways like that. It says they shared everything. There's only a couple ways to make sure that you can have that kind of a church. One is the membership committee has to get really tough on new people. And you've got to make sure that nobody coming into the church has any needs. And that maybe even those coming in have resources to help people in needs because we want to make sure that nobody would come into our church who didn't have those resources. That's one way to probably try to guarantee it, but that won't even work. Or the other thing is, you know what, to have the kind of heart and compassion to just be looking for people who maybe haven't been around for a while or maybe are going through a tough time and you know it, and God has given you that information and maybe you should act on it. Again, uh, verse 45, it says, they sold their property possessions shared the money with those in needs i like what nancy ortberg wrote in community if someone else is not okay then to some degree i am not okay you got that hello anybody home yeah you got it we got to care what the preacher taught i talked about caring i always love this story calvin coolidge uh, was very quiet guy. He went to church one day without his wife, and his, his wife said, well, what, what, are the, what was church like? She said, okay. What did the pastor talk about? Sin. What did he say about it? He's against it. You know, I mean, 
What did he talk about today? Caring. Caring. Why? Because in the early church, the church fathers came up with what they called the seven deadly sins. And here they are. Pride, covetousness, lust, envy, gluttony, anger, and sloth. Or the Greek word is akadia. And what they were saying to people was, these are sins that come right from the pit of hell. These are the very worst things. These attack your soul and your life, and they will ruin you. Stay away from these things. They're deadly sins. The word akadia, sloth, sounds like uh, sitting in the bathtub too long, laying in bed a little too long in the morning when you should get up, just kind of sitting around when you know there's work to be done. But that's not what the word means. The, the word akadia is translated this way, negligence, indifference, or my interpretation, I just don't care. And the, the church fathers said that is a deadly sin to get to the place where you see human need around you and you just say, you know what, I'm too busy. Or, just, I, or honestly, for whatever, I just don't care. I don't know why. I have this apathy inside of me. But, you know, I, I know that there's problems. I know that there's need. I know I could help, but I don't care. And they said that this is one of the worst sins that you can fall into. Now, the early church did not have that attitude. In the Holy Spirit, they had a whole different attitude of loving and caring and helping people. It says, verse 46, they worshiped together at the temple every day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. They were not living in some kind of a commune. They still had their houses. They, they were not living in isolation. They would still go uh, to the temple and they would worship God. They would worship Jesus. And it says, and they had, look at the last line, great joy and generosity. Great joy and generosity always go together. You always have to hold things with a loose hand in life. Have you learned that? Because they can be gone so fast. In his book, Bowling Alone, Robert Putman says the following statistics are indicators of the decline, decline of community life in America over the past 25 years. Attendance in club meetings down 58%. Having friends over down 45%. Family dinners down 33%. I go to my daughter's house and, uh, you know, she's got a junior in high school and a sophomore in high school and, uh, and uh, an eighth grader. And I'll tell you, family supper is, you have to schedule family supper a week ahead because, uh, you know, the boy has, uh, has track practice and the girl has got, she plays in the youth group, uh, a worship team, you know, and they've got stuff going every day. They've got stuff going. It, it's not easy to get together. It takes time. It takes planning. But you know what? Don't think. There was an article years ago about the guy who put on, on uh, was one of the top guys putting on uh, parties for people uh, up in the Twin Cities areas, Minneapolis, St. Paul. And you know what he would serve at his get-togethers? McDonald's hamburgers. And people, they don't care what the food is. You can agonize too much over what will we give them. It doesn't matter what you give them. 
You know, there's all kinds of easy things, but what matters is having people over, open, tearing down the walls, tearing down not just the walls of your life, but the walls of the church and get connected with one another. That's why we call this a church without walls because it's so easy for these walls to come up between us ethnically, between us uh, generationally, or all these other ways. We've got to tear all that down and reach this world for Christ. We've got to be examples of that. In the Bible, um, again, it says they shared with great joy and generosity. And you see those words in yellow? Here's, here's how you need to look at your life sometimes. You got a few bucks in your pocket. And uh, there's somebody that, that needs some help. And you're the UPS driver. You deliver the package. But don't you ever forget it's not yours that you're, you're giving away. You're just the UPS driver. You're just the one delivering what God has given to you. It's not yours. It never was yours. And here's the proof of it. The day you die, you don't take any of it with you. It's all gone. And it says that we, we can change that. In the Bible, it asks three great questions about money. Number one, how did you get it? Was it legal and everything? Number two, what are you doing with it? You indulging yourselves? I'm surprised how many people are just broke. And then you go in your house and you see they got the brand new flat screen, big screen TV. They came up with the money for that, okay. You know, we're not broke. We don't know what broke. Here's, here's a question for you. How many of you have a car? Raise your hand. Uh, do you know that 7% of the people in that world have a car? Do you know if you have a car, you are considered one of the wealthiest people in this world today? And, and you don't think you've got anything. Uh, verse 47, all the while again, they were praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. How many people will die today who are not Christians? 70,000. How many people on average will die tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday? People average in the world, how many will die and they will not go to heaven? 70,000 people a day. And if you just want to keep living your comfortable life and not caring, I warn you what the church fathers said, you are living in one of the seven deadly sins and you need to break free of that. The only cure I know for consumerism and selfishness, the only cure I know is generosity. Having an open hand and starting to give away, give away stuff. I moved, uh, I moved in June to Bothell from L.A. I have two grandsons in Bothell, three years old and five years old, and they needed a grandpa around, so we, we decided to, to change our life and move and much smaller house than what we had, and uh, I'd been a pastor in L.A. for 27 years. Uh, by the way, it's 102 in L.A. today. <laughs> I love you people up here, man. I love it. Thank you, Jesus, you know. I'm so tired of being hot all the time. Uh, it, it had a little rain yesterday. Oh, wonderful. You're saying, I know what you're thinking. Wait till November, see how you feel. Okay, I got you. I love it. I had a great respect for a man named uh, Fred Craddock. Here's a picture of him. And Fred's, uh, 
was a pastor, died in 2015. And he used to tell about his father. His father, uh, they grew up in the Methodist church. And his uh, father used to uh, say to him, uh, my timer went off. Okay, I got to wrap up. Uh, his father used to say to his mother and him, uh, he'd never go to church. He said, all the church cares about, another member, another pledge. Another member, another pledge. He said, if I heard it once, I heard it a thousand times in my life. Why aren't you going to church, Daddy? Another, all they care about, another member, another pledge. All they want is your name on the list. They just want your money. It's all they care about. He said, I didn't hear it one time. He was in the hospital dying of cancer. His weight had gone down to 81 pounds. And I walked into his room, and there was a stack of cards like this on that little table they give you by your bed. And in, in the window, there were plants and more notes and cards all along the threshold of, of the window. Everything from people in the church. And his father took the Kleenex box because he couldn't talk anymore, and he wrote this on the bottom of the Kleenex box. In this harsh world, draw your breath in pain to tell my tale. Words of Shakespeare. In this harsh world, draw your breath in pain to tell my tale. And he looked at his father. He says, what's your, ta what's your tale, Daddy? What's your story? His father took it and wrote, I was wrong. I was wrong. You have seen on Friday that there are many people who have compassionate hearts for those who are grieving loss. You have shown that as a church. Now let's go show it to the rest of the world, okay? Let's break out of our comfort zone and let's show the rest of the world who and what we are as followers of Jesus. Anne Lamott wrote these words. At the age of seven, my minister's best friend, little girl, got lost someday and <clears throat> one day, and she ran up and down the streets of the big town where they lived, but she couldn't find a single landmark. She was very frightened, and finally a policeman stopped to help her. He put her in the passenger seat of the car, and they drove around until she finally saw her church. She pointed it out to the policeman, and then she told him firmly, you can let me out now. This is my church, and I can always find my way home from here. And Anne writes, and that is why I have stayed so close to my church, because no matter how bad I'm feeling, how lost or lonely or frightened, when I see the faces of the people in my church and I hear their voices, I can always find my way home. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we apply your word to our lives, that we wouldn't just see this as some kind of old history, but we would see this as something that you can still do today because you've done it over so many thousands of years now. And make us that kind of a church, authentically loving and caring for one another, authentically opening our homes and our lives to each other. And as we prepare, Lord, for the Lord's table now, we pray that you would help us to do what Jesus Christ has asked us to do, to examine ourselves before we eat the bread and drink the cup. And as we share the Lord's table, Father, may we celebrate the oneness, the unity that we have as Christian brothers and sisters. 
We ask it all in your dear, dear name, our Lord Jesus. Amen.